hello once again. Well, well, well. You are listening to the Inspired Minds Podcast. Guess what? My name is Jeff Watson, and I am still your gracious and your grateful host. What a great day it is. My goodness. It was hot as... It was really, really hot for many parts of the country last week. Good God, the earth is on fire, ladies and gentlemen. There's 117 in this area that's next to my little city here. Oh my God, we're all dying. But regardless, we're going to have some fun on this next podcast. How do you transition out of that dark little thing? You don't. You go in hard. And you stop and you say, I am extremely grateful to be doing these interviews, courtesy of my good friend, Mr. Michael Lee Simpson. Uh, he's a producer of this thing. He's also an amazing writer. He uh, writes for Backstage, and he writes for Variety, and he writes for these Hollywood Insider uh, trade mags, and he's also a screenwriter on his own right. I love the guy. Congratulations, my good friend. I'm like his hype man, obviously, on this show. I'm kind of like the Flavor Flav to his Chuck D, or perhaps even the Burgess Meredith to his Rocky Balboa. That's what I am. I love you, guy. You're doing great work. And part of that work is he tells me that we have been listened to in more countries, ladies and gentlemen. So we are global. Look at that. And as my previous listeners, all five of them might notice, that I like to do a thing called the International High Five Section, where I call out a country that's listening to the sound of my voice, and we will give a little shout out, talk about some weird fun facts about you, Germany. But as always, as always, I will play the national anthem of said song. And here we go. Off to the races. This is what I got here. Here we go. It always starts with horns. Fun facts about you, Germany. Guess what? It turns out that you guys have an Angela Merkel Barbie doll. How fantastic is that? She's great. I love Angela Merkel. If nothing else, just Trump hates her. Probably because she's a woman. And powerful. So the other thing, there's a couple of other things that I really enjoyed reading about was that after the fall of the Berlin Wall back in 89, a bunch of segments of the wall were auctioned off and shipped around the globe. And it turns out that one is in the Main Street Station Casino in Las Vegas. And it's in a urinal, the men's urinal. A piece of the Berlin fucking wall is in a men's urinal. Granted, in glass case, but I mean, come on, how tacky. But it is Vegas. Get this. Giving someone the middle finger in Germany is, in fact, illegal. You will get caught if you flip the bird. I'm not sure about that. But finally, my favorite thing about Germany, this is nuts. Germany, or Germans do not get treated on their birthdays. How incredible is that? How terrible is that? Because it turns out they have to tell, they have to treat everybody else as a result. They bring in their own cake or champagne to have a celebration at work. And if they go out with their friends for a meal like everybody else does, they're paying. Wow, Germany, you are hardcore. And that is going to be the end of this little segment and a hard end to the national anthem. Hang on, bring it up a little bit. German wine and German song. I'm just reading the, uh, read the translations here, folks, and we're going to end that real quickly. Boom, because I'm going to be introducing the lovely and talented Randy Dawn, she was on an incredible interview. She's an author. She's a journalist of science fiction, fantasy, horror. She also day job writes for entertainment uh, magazines and lifestyle magazines, such as Today, NBCNews.com, Variety, Los Angeles Times, Emmy Magazine. Boy, did we have fun talking about a lot of stuff. We talked about fandom and the tribe-like quality, that connection that I like to talk about all the time. Uh, because about uh, sci-fi nerds and fantasy nerds and horror nerds, all of which I am, kind of keeps us together. We talked about soap operas, which was an incredible conversation. I don't know much about it, but I do remember one called Passions a long time ago. Some crazy, crazy fucking soap opera with a little little guy named Timmy. If you know what I'm talking about, you know it's pretty wild. Talked about Weird Al. We talked about uh, just uh, so many great things. But my favorite part, actually, was that she's a Weird Al fan. Wait, Al Yankovic. How can you go wrong with that kind of a person? So that's all I got. Enjoy the interview. I do hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did making it because I had fun. I think I'm going to go out and walk uh, through the park just because I can because it's not 117 degrees outside. All right, folks. Have a great night, day, evening, 4 a.m., wherever you are. Take care. Bye. All right. Dazzled throng of the Inspired Minds audience, I have the incredible fortune I'm speaking now to the lovely and talented Randy Don. Randy, say hello to the Inspired Minds Dazzled Throng. 
Hello to the Inspired Minds Dazzled Throng. It's nice to meet you. Ooh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty impressive. Off the, off the bat, ladies and gentlemen, this could be a, could be one of the best ones yet. Um, thank, thank you so much for taking your time to do this. Um, I am greatly looking forward to it. But the way I like to start off every single interview is the following question. Same one. And it is, when you were young, what was the first thing that you can remember that truly inspired you when you were a kid? Was it a song or was it a book or a movie? Go. Wow. Um, wow. That's a, that's one I haven't necessarily thought about the first thing. Um, <laughs> it probably was music because as much of a reader as I am, music sort of gets under my skin and inspires me in a way that um, just a, a story or a book hasn't necessarily done. Um, music is just this magic language that I just feel very much in tune with. I don't make it. I don't sing it. I don't, I can play it, but I don't play it well. I just am somebody who absorbs it. And I was making up stories based on songs um, before we even had music videos. I mean, I would close my eyes and go to sleep with music and would just make up little music videos or little stories in my head. And those eventually became the stories that I would sit down and write. But uh, it was definitely, it's, it, it started with music. I kind of think that I could put myself into sort of a half dream state. What do they call it? I don't know if hypnagogic is the right uh, phrase, but um, huh? that kind of state. And it, I, I could feel my, my, my thoughts just getting looser when I could do that. I was sort of halfway between awake, halfway between asleep, and then the right song would come on the radio because, of course, we didn't have iPods. I would have to, I went to sleep sure. with uh, big, big headphones on my, on my ears, but yes. it was a radio. And, uh, it yes. big, and it, I liked the randomness of the song coming on the radio. And if the right one hit at the right time, I just, the creative juices just got flowing. So, um, so I would probably say it's music. Any one particular song? I don't know. I mean, you know, when I was young, we had the soundtrack to Greece. So I uh -huh. had, I, I was like, oh, high school is going to be interesting. And of course, that was, that was not the case. <laughs> yeah, this is not high no. school. Where's John, but I where's John Travolta? Where's John Travolta? <laughs> right. I mean, in some dream world, I was like, oh, I'm going to go and we're going to be like, I watched Fame. I watched Greece. Uh -huh. I'm like, oh, we're going to be dancing in the hallways, making up songs in the cafeteria. <laughs> And since that didn't happen in real life, I would just do it in my head. You know, I would just go home and at night before I fell asleep, I, they'd put on, uh, uh -huh. I grew up in the DC area and they had, you know, the, the nightly top five or the top five songs of the night on uh, a local rock radio station. And I would just listen to those and I would you know, plop in my, uh, my school as the location and just make up my own videos in my head. I envy Boz Lerman just because he found a way to take those kind of stories and just plug in songs, you know, Moulin Rouge, let's just pick songs from the seventies. Yeah. We can have disco You're music. Right. So I'm, yeah. I'm kind of envious with what he did. So yeah, I mean, it would have been the songs of my youth, but a lot of songs. And that really was what just got me started thinking in terms of long-term stories, because I would thread together songs and characters and come up with a musical version that I then would put down on paper as a, as a non-musical version. Yeah. So I like how you were saying kind of like an early music video. So you would hear a song. Yeah. And then yeah. what would you do in your head? You would create a story around that in your head? Like, let's say. Oh, yeah. Like, like I could choreograph it in my head. I mean, I do not know how to dance. This is not like I could say, oh, do the such and such move or whatever. But I could chore I would choreograph it in my head. I knew what was happening based on the beats, based on the bridge, based on the verses. And. Um, you know, I just had a whole, it was all very melodramatic and often pegged to romance because that's the kind of songs you often get on the radio. Um, but yeah, I, I could, I can still do that with some songs today. I got to do that with one song actually, because when I was in college, um, a friend of mine for his final uh, project in his film class needed to come up with a video, uh, some sort of short video that would be six to eight minutes long. And I said, well, actually, uh, there, there's a song by, um, by the Alan Parsons project called Silence and I. And mm -hmm. I had a video in my head for this. The song is about, I don't know, it's over six minutes long. And I said to him, look, if you want to do a music video, I got a story that will go with this song. And I could get, I, you can do that. Just, you know, give me a credit as the writer or something, writer of the video anyway. 
and he made it. <laughs> so I actually have one representation. He filmed, you had to film it on 16 millimeter, either Super 8 or 16 millimeter. And you had to use two, two sound inputs. And he basically came, you took my idea, improved on it in a couple of places. And I have a copy of that. Actually, I have a copy of a music video that started uh-huh. in my head. So. Wow. That's wonderful. And the reason I'll ask, ask, the reason I like asking this question is because it creates a through line always, at least for Mm -hmm. creators, right? Mm -hmm. Because clearly whatever that moment was for you, was it the, whatever song it was or whatever moment it was, and that impelled you, impelled you to kind of go down this path. Yeah. Is that a fair statement? That impel, that impellation? Is that, is that right? Is that uh, right? Im- impelment. Um, uh, yeah, impelment. impetus. <laughs> impetus. Yeah. But there you go. Impetus. Yeah. Impetus, I Thank think, you. is what we're looking for. But, but impelment is kind of a fun word when you think about it. Um, it is. Yeah. I mean, I think that there are people who, you know, may have been, if, if you, if I had been more, um, if I had been more interested in sort of creating the visual or at, uh, sticking with making films, I might have not gone to books and gone and tried to make more of these films. And actually, now that we're mm-hmm. talking about it, I have, I've completely forgot. I made some of my own music videos just for the fun of it. Um, what? Here's, yeah, here's totally old school for you. Uh, I, this is completely tangential, but um, when I was in college, I was studying uh, broadcast journalism. So I was learning how to edit on videotape. And they, wow. and when I went home from my first, from, from, from like my first year from college, I rented um, a video because we had already had a video cassette player, but I rented, you could rent a video camera, which had basically another VHS deck in it. You remember those? They were like these giant things. Oh, yeah. And it was a video camera, but, yeah. you, you know, so you didn't have to develop anything. You just videoed. And since we had a second video at home, I learned how to hardwire the connections in the back with the RCA cables. So I was able to edit from my raw footage with my second VCR and then I learned how to port in just the audio. So I was able to lay in a layer of audio on top of the video, which apparently you can do with two VHS decks. So I have, I have two different videos that I made with my friends in them. I basically was like, let me have you for the day. I'm going to make you run around a lot. And we're going to act out stuff that I, in this video. And then I went home and I edited them. So I have two of those, one of which is for an Amy Grant song, believe it or not. And one wow. of which is for a Tommy Keen song, uh, the Ooh. often the often forgotten great guitarist Tommy Keen from the D.C. area, which is where right. I grew up. I know. Um, yeah. Right. So anyway, so I have I actually did two videos with those, and I have copies of those. And um, I I thought that I might get into music videos when I was doing my study abroad in London during college. I interned at a music video firm. I got to meet some directors. Um, I worked on a couple of music videos, but I think I was too intimidated by the whole groupness of creating Mm. a movie or groupness of creating a video. I was very much a solitary Mm. person. I just wanted to do it solo. And writing is the thing you can do when you're solo. You do not need a team until you want to get it published. You can just sit down with your little old words and write it out. So uh, I think going back to your original question, if other people, other people might have said, oh, I'm going to devote myself to making movies and short films and you get a Baz Luhrmann or whoever from that. And then there are people like me who just want the more of the solitary experience and, and stick with the words instead of creating, cre- create the visuals with words as, a cro- as opposed to with videotape or film. It, but nevertheless, it was, there was still obviously a moment of inspiration for you that then I would assume. And it makes sense because you kind of figure it out, wait a minute, there's a group idea here. I'm not too big a fan of that. I'm going to go be a writer. Is that kind of how it worked? <laughs> yeah, I think it, it, it helps me. Um... I don't like to say narrow because that sounds like you were that, that I that I was uh, not focusing on other things, but I think it helped me hone my 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 pencil. It helped me hone my my knife uh, so that I I could aim better at the target I, I that worked best for me. Yeah, that makes sense. And so I want to get into that now. You write a lot. My God, I was going through some of the things that you were, and it's like new story. I think there were like three stories in one day. It's just constant, constant, constant writing. You're this writing machine for today, NBC News, uh, kind of variety, the LA Times, Emmy, et cetera, et cetera. And right. then on top of it, then you write these, what you call, I've noticed uh, the word that you use is speculative fiction. And sure. 
I I find that interesting. So I if I'm if I'm reading this right, that kind of talks about some of the things because obviously you know you had written uh, I believe it was some books uh, specifically around. Um, oh, now I'm drawing a blank on the name of the uh, TV show. Oh, Law oh, it was, and Order. It's a, 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 I'm so sorry, Law and Order. I'm a terrible interviewer. That's okay. Obviously. That's okay. Um, law, yes, Law and Order. <laughs> and what I I kind of want to move this conversation to because I find this kind of stuff really fascinating. Fandom, mm-hmm. a fandom. I, I am so so convinced of the beauty and the power of fandom. Now, mm-hmm. at my previous job when I was at Warner Brothers Records, my job was to do digital marketing, which really meant kind of create fan groups, fan, find the fans, yeah. get them. That was kind of the idea, right? Mm-hmm. And you find these pockets of just incredibly devoted fans who will do absolutely anything, hell or high water for the particular artists that they love. And in doing so, it really did obviously create this kind of community, a beautiful community. And yeah. I think that is so, so lacking in this country, the idea of just a connection a tribe almost. I mean, I think we're way too tribalized on so many levels, but when it comes to just pure fandom and that passion involved with it, I thought yeah. that was fantastic. So I thought that perhaps as somebody who does a speculative fiction type world, maybe you can kind of get into that a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you're talking about the fandom of speculative fiction or are you talking about the fandom of music? Cause uh, I've had experience both. with both. Both, right. both um, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said, you know, I, the thing is with music, I think that it, Music is is this special category that is slightly different than any other um, creative endeavor, in my opinion. Uh, and in terms of creating a community around that, music just uh, it speaks to, I, without getting too airy-fairy, it, it, it speaks to part of our souls that I don't think other um, creative works do in quite the same way, because it's just this thing that gets into your head. Uh, people don't really have earworms from paintings. You know what I mean? Right. Um, Right. So in terms of the, in terms of the fandom for that, the kind of people that you meet, you're meeting them, the co- the commonalities in your mind that you have with them are on a different level than people who say, oh, I really like this director's films or I really like this author's books. Um, and I did run, actually, I, I did run a fan group for a while uh, for a band called Ivy. Um, they, have you ever heard of them? Isley, you said? No, Ivy, as in like climbing trellis uh, oh, vines, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And was that with the guy from Fountains of Wayne? Precisely. Yeah. It was before oh. Fountains of Wayne, uh, Adam yeah. Schlesinger. Um, yeah. The late, yeah. great Adam Schlesinger. I'm yeah. mourning uh, for him. Yeah. Me, he, me too. Yeah. It was him and Andy Chase and Dominique Durand. And they were, they were a trio. Andy and Dominique were a married couple. And they had this wonderful sort of dream pop sound. She was French. She still is French, but she has that accent. So it was like an interesting, different sound. Anyway, I interviewed them. And when after the interview, I went on. At that point, we had to use news groups because, of course, it was early Internet. And I found huh. people were asking a lot of questions about them, but nobody knew anything. So I started answering questions. And that developed into, well, if I'm answering the same questions for everybody. I'm just going to make a mailing list. And you can join this mailing list and you can talk to the people on the mailing list. And that was called the Ivy Vine. And that lasted for about 20 years. I mean, I think it started in the 90s and then it ended when Yahoo groups shut down, which I think was the last place it was located. So it was about a 20-year-old list. And people became friends. People got to meet each other. We saw each other at concerts. You know, that. so that kind of fan community is really a very special thing. And it endures to this day. In terms of what speculative fiction is, um, in case anybody out there isn't quite sure, speculative fiction is kind of this nice umbrella that encompasses things that aren't literary fiction. Uh, if it's, it, it, it's got a lot of, and it tends to have a quote unquote speculative element. So your science fiction, your fantasy, your horror, magical realism, anything that tends to include a little bit of the uncanny will fit in the umbrella of speculative fiction. And also when you say speculative fiction, people don't immediately go, Ooh, I don't read science fiction or Ooh, <laughs> fantasy. People get very hoity toity about some, which is bizarre because I think that in the, in recent years, genre of science fiction, fantasy and horror has just taken over. I mean, it's everywhere now. Of course. Um, so the, the idea that people are hoity toity about it is hilarious. Um, but yeah, that's so speculative fiction 
What, what that whole fan community is interesting because speculative fiction, things that are science fiction, fantasy, sometimes horror, often come out in large, in multiple volumes. You'll get, it's not just a standalone book. You'll get, um, you know, the Harry Potter series, uh, seven or eight books. You'll get the, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, which became Game of Thrones, you know, seven books and counting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that invites people into, uh, a creative experience that, for many, for many of them, makes them want to explore it further, even further than the author has explored it. So you end up getting things like fan fiction, um, and they will write their own stories that are just exist within this world. And I think that's marvelous. I think it's terrific. I can't say I have never written fan fiction for something. Uh, I love that that creates a community of its own because people who wouldn't necessarily write or want to get their stuff published can borrow these characters or these these scenarios and create their own works. Now, if they're trying to make money with it, that's where the law will get involved and things get hairy. But it also creates a certain amount of ownership over the property. And that extends to, for example, people who are really into the Marvel universe or the DC universe. It's so immersive and it's so it's so permissive of the kind of storytelling that it's that it creates. Um, people begin to feel like it's partially mine as well, even if I'm not paid for it or even if I'm not in the credits. And I think that does expand the notion of what fandom is, who owns the creative property, who owns the rights to be able to tell this creative property. Um, and then you start getting into conversations about, well, what about copyright? Well, copyright has gone insane in the past uh, 20 or 30 years. It's very hard to get things into the public domain. And when people don't have enough creative things to bounce themselves off of, or it's the same creative things over and over again. I mean, do we need to see another star, another um, Spider-Man movie, for example? Do we need to see another Sherlock Holmes retelling? You know, Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain. Spider-Man is not, but the reason we keep seeing those films being made is that they want to hold on to that copyright. If they make a new one, they make a different one, they get the copyright again extended. Huh. I had no yeah. idea. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So again, you, you, you're answering, you're asking great questions. I'm just digressing all over the place. So if you need no, to rein me in, no, this please entire, go right ahead. This entire, look, this entire show is one big fucking tangent. Don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> don't you worry about good. that. I can tangent with the best of them. I oh, can co-tangent. Oh, oh good. <laughs> co-tangent. I love it. So, <laughs> but you know, I will say this too, actually. I saw that fan fiction world. In fact, I saw the fan world first, uh, really up close because there was mm-hmm. a band that I had the honor of working with called, uh, My Chemical Romance back in the day. Oh, sure. Like, yeah. And they were my guys. They still are. I just, yeah. the most truly wonderful human beings in the world without a uh-huh. doubt. I mean, just all of them are wonderful people. And they are, uh, they, they, they preach, uh, messages of empowerment and love. I mean, they're fantastic. But because of that, because they engender such, such a positive connection, their fans are off the chain. And mm-hmm. I became famous, uh, based on my association with the band. I was like a marketing guy, like some record label <laughs> idiot. And yet the fans to this day, I still talk to them. I still talk to them to this day. And that was right, 10, right. 15 years ago. And it was for that same reason, because it was a tribe. It was a tribe of good people, if that's Mm -hmm. the best way to put it, you know? I mean, granted, there were, of course, there were some terrible people, I'm sure, in that tribe, but not really, not from what I saw, because they were just disenfranchised kids, and they saw something that was beautiful and powerful in front of them, so they wanted to become a part of it. And it was so pure. You know, you go to those shows, you go to any show, like, for God's sake, I went to a Bruce Springsteen show, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And there was that feeling of just absolute community. It was that feeling of almost a binding agent, the binding agent of Bruce Springsteen, let's say, that night. That 20,000 people or whatever it was, and you're all singing Born to Run. I don't care what you look like. I don't care. We're all singing Born to Run right now. And we are this lattice work. We're this lattice work of connection. And that's what I find in fandom. And I want to go backwards for a heartbeat now, because you did say that music is this connection. And the way I've always looked at it, music is my ladder to God. And I've been very Mm. fortunate to have that line, right? Mm. Because when Mm -hmm. I meditate, I don't meditate. I I listen to to, uh, pet sounds. That's my thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But I think that is just so absolutely incredible. And I I know you know what I'm talking about. I, I do. And it's interesting that you talk about it being your line to God. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a religious person, 
but I know what you mean in terms of the spirituality of the connection. I don't know if you like literally mean that kind no, of thing, but that's no, um, no. I mean, I mean the spirituality connection. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because when you were mentioning that, what this reminded me of is back when I was about 16, um, there was a friend of mine who I'd been pen pals with since we were like in kindergarten or something. She moved away. We became kindergarten, you know, the earliest kind of pen pals. And while, you know, when we were all separated, she got much more religious. She became sort of evangelical. And meanwhile, I just kind of was who I was and I was remaining with, you know, I met friends and I had one really good friend who was, um, he wasn't out of the closet, but he was gay. And um, she, her family invited me out to go visit her uh, across the country when I was 16. So I went, we had a lovely time, had a great experience. And then she and I went out walking and we were just talking about stuff. And I was telling her about my friend and how I feel sympathetic that he doesn't feel like he can be out of the closet and I kind of have a crush on him. You know, it was all this, you know, stuff that you talk about when you're 16. And that was fine. Everything went well. And when I got home, she wrote me a letter essentially saying, I don't think we can be friends anymore. We're too different. And then she started quoting all sorts of Bible passes, passages to me. And you know, my friend's going to go to hell and all that sort of thing. And my response after being very hurt and very angry was to find music lyrics that I could send back to her to show how she needed to open her mind a little bit more. And that's what I did. I wrote her back a letter, you know, with all the fury that I had. And I included a whole bunch of music lyrics because it wasn't until years later that I thought of it this way, but it's like, this is me quoting my Bible. You're going to quote your scriptures to me. I'm going to go and find the passages that make sense, that help me make sense of the world. And I'm going to send them to you. Um, so yeah, absolutely. The, when I find a lyric that hits me, I, I have to share it with the world. I do evangelize. When I got the very first Trash Can Sinatra's album. Wait, wait, stop. You did not what? just say that. I, I did. Wait, nobody knows who the fucking trash can Sinatra's are. Oh, oh yes, we do. Oh, oh my, yes, we do. My mind is my mind is blown right now. Oh, ladies, Jeff, wait. you're my you're you're my soulmate. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen of the audience. First of all, you've now heard people falling in love. Second of all, the trash can Sinatra's were this band from the '90s from England, and they put out maybe two records. I think I don't know, but all I know is that they had that one that was like Obscurity Knox. Uh huh. Uh huh. I mean. Right, so so with, with with all due respect, but, Sc Scottish, they will hunt you right. down if you don't fix the Scottish. <laughs> you're <thing>. right. <laughs> so Sorry. First of all, they're Scottish. Um, that, but they actually are still putting out music. They are still together. They are still putting out music. And they're doing it from like three different points of the globe because uh, the main three guys, one lives in Scotland, one lives in uh, California, and one lives um, in Washington State. So, but they are still getting there. They're actually, they actually just, I think, released a new song. I'm on their Patreon account. Um, so they have a new song and a new video coming out, but a full official albums. I think they have at least four or five. Wow. But, the, but yeah, you know, they're still, they're still out there. If you liked their stuff, I personally am the biggest fan of the first album. I think after that album, things, you know, they were, they were finding their, finding their feet and there's a whole story behind their, their origin, which I won't go into here, but that first album just hit me in such a way that I, I basically played it for everybody. It was as if I had made the album and I was just like, you have to listen to this. And I think I sold many copies to many people. Everybody knows that I'm the trash can Sinatra's fan. Um, and you know, one of the great joys in my life was I, I used to say when I was younger, I was like, Oh, you know, I really wish that I, I had all the money in the world so I could be just like, make me an album, boys. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. And while I will not say I'm at that stage in any way, shape or form, um, when they did, um, they did an album a couple of years ago and they did, uh, one of those Indiegogos, uh, to raise money for it. And I had just, I had just sold the apartment that I was living in because my husband and I were moving to a different place. So I actually had like money in the bank for the first time and they needed money to help finish the album. And I'm just like, here, boys, make me an executive producer. And so, yeah, I got an executive producer credit. I mean, like, you know, high points in life. <laughs> wow. Congratulations to you. Oh, well, I did nothing. I just, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm literally a Patreon here. I'm, I'm happy to be the, uh, the money machine if they need it because I like their music so much. I think that is – I'm stunned. I am absolutely stunned anybody knows who the goddamn trash can Sinatra's are. <laughs> they are wonderful, and they're the nicest people, honest to God. Well, Actually, yeah. here's here's what you'll get a kick about. I know we'll get around to talking about my book. They let me use a yeah. quote from one of their songs 
at, in the front of the book. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's in wow. the very front of the book. It's from, uh, it's from Through Penny Tears, uh, and it refers to soap operas and that's part of the, part of the subject of the book. So yeah, well, I just had to write them. What a, what a great say. I could do the entire, I could do the nine episodes on the goddamn show on the Traskas and Notchers, And yet <laughs> I cannot. So we must move either that, either that or teenage fan club, either one I could oh, do for, God, yes. yeah, I knew you would say that. Sure. Um, I, I saw that coming a mile away. So I, I still have I still have a T-shirt that says "Teenage Fucking Fan Club." Oh, do you really? Oh, oh yes. God, you like, you like my new BFF already. Um, <laughs> okay, so great seg now. Seg. Now I'm talking like I really. <laughs> I used to be like that too. I'm like seg and segway. Are those two different words? <laughs> so tune in tomorrow. I cannot yeah. wait. So this thing's coming out August 16th. It is a book. It is what they. I, I, it seems that it's alternate alternate reality television is kind of a phrase that I saw. <laughs> tell me what, tell me about this thing. Cause first of all, I'm an old school reality TV nut. I mean, we're talking, okay. real, we're talking real world, which I want to get into in a second as well. Oh, sure. But tell, because that's, that's my thing. And I've watched it evolve. Right. right. And it was interesting too, is, you know, reality television, as I understand it, it kind of kicked off of all things with the show cops solely because there was a writer's strike back then. So no one had any money to pay the writers. So they went, eh, I got some found footage over here. And that's when the, I'm pretty sure that's when the whole thing kind of kicked off. Um, yeah, you know, the thing is there, obviously there, there was some reality TV before that. Um, what I have a tendency to do is think of, um, reality TV as being, as getting a, a, a kick in the butt and really getting to be what it is today when the real world came on. True. Um, yeah. cops, I, and, and this, and the writer's strike, I think happened later than that. To me, rea- the real world was like, that's the early 90s. And although we had some documentary programs, like PBS did An American Family, where Correct. we followed around the Loud Family. Loud Family, yeah. um, And we had a character who came out on camera and everything. Uh, so there'd been versions of that, but with the, with the, with the fracture, fracturization, fracture, that fracturing. Works. That works too. Fracturing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> as good as impa- impalement or whatever we said earlier. Um, <laughs> but yeah, with, with, with everything becoming much more niche as cable took over, uh, I think reality TV was considered less expensive and easier for channels like say MTV, which, had, which heretofore had been about music videos, but they weren't making any money off of music videos. It was a way for them to create original programming relatively on the cheap. And then it really just took off. So for me, Jonathan Murray, Boone and Murray at that time, creating that show, that really put it into the modern, the modern context. And then of course you get all of the shows that come after that, everything from game shows to, um, big brothers to that kind of thing that became reality TV. So, um, the, the, the truth of tune in tomorrow. So tune in tomorrow, just so you know, uh, or your audience knows, is it's a fantastic, it's a humorous, fantastical book that looks behind the scenes of um, a, a reality TV show that is created by mythical creatures for mythical creatures, but starring humans. And the idea behind that was kind of we love these fantasy movies. We love sci-fi movies. We are always like, oh, show me the castle with the dragons and the unicorns and, and the elves and, and the portals and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, what do, what do they like to watch of us? I think they like, like that stuff is very mundane to them. I think they'd be very excited with our silly little mundane things in our life. So I have a character who's one of the writers for the show who talks about the idea that, oh, tell me more about embezzlement. <laughs> adultery you know these are fascinating concepts to me um and you know kidnapping do tell me more so they're making a show that looks a lot like a soap opera slash reality tv show um think of shows like say uh, uh selling sunset for example uh-huh. where it's 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 real people and they're at their real job but everything's very heightened and it's got a soap opera quality to it but we call it reality tv mm-hmm. so the the mythical creatures who watch the show tune in tomorrow believe that this is reality or at least it's real enough for them so they think that these are real characters uh-huh. we want to talk about fans when they see these actors they go up to them and they're like how dare you dump him you know they act <laughs> as though it's really the actor as this is a real character not a not a human with a separate personality 
Um, so anyway, uh, that's kind of the, that's the setting for this book. And, and I do so much entertainment journalism that I wanted to work in all of my backstage stuff, my crazy actor shenanigans, um, what it's like to have to deal with a network. Um, there's, the, the network that runs this TV program is very capricious and is run by fairy creatures. And they're kind of like, <laughs> Oh, you know, you could do this. And, you, and, and, and it's very much, um, you know, you never want to get executives involved in your TV show, but they're yet involved. So I'm trying to, you know, riff on the things that I've been watching and learning and listening to and speaking about all these years in this fantastical con- construct. Um, because it's just, it's, it's fun. I get to play with the idea of fandom. I get to play with the idea of being a new actor on a show and how you fit in and a, a crazy diva who's like having an all about Eve moment where she wants to, <laughs> she doesn't want her own role to be taken away by this whippersnapper. Um, and then buried in that also is a slightly more serious discussion about the nature of immortality because on this show, they have an awards program. There's more than one of these shows out there, but we're only looking at the one. And they have an awards program. And the first award, if you win an award for your performance on this show, the first award you get is that they freeze your age in place. You will no longer age as long as you are working for this show. And, huh. you know, I, that comes from the idea that there are people who have worked on soap operas for 30 or 40 years. I mean, there's people, this is their life. This is, this show is their life. And, I, I like the idea that the, the the mythical creatures would say, well, we want to have this show going for hundreds of years. If you'll stick around, you could be on for hundreds of years. Yeah. But then what we have is we have characters who have been doing it for decades who talk about what it's like when the world moves on, but moves on without you. You know, you're constantly on this on this show, but all your friends are, are getting older or dying or disappearing or whatever, and you are staying in place. And meanwhile, the world becomes stranger and stranger and stranger, and they almost never go back to the real world because it just gets, you know, if, imagine if you were sort of stuck in 1950, how weird today would look. And, you know, we don't have a long, it's not a long extended uh, serious discussion, but it was something I wanted to explore. There's often this discussion people have, oh, I wish I could live forever. You know, I'd love to live for hundreds of years. It'd be great. I could, I could really invest money. I could see all the things. But the fact is that nobody really wants that. I don't think anybody really no. wants mortality. No. They want they want to be able to choose their mo- I think people would like to be able to know when they'd like to be able to say when they want to pass on. Like you know, I want to have all my marbles and I want to be perfectly healthy and the minute that starts to slip is when I'm I'm okay with the idea of going away. Um but if people could choose that sort of thing, it would they would feel different about it, but immortality itself I think would be boring i think it'd be really just boring and and lonely and sad because everybody else around you would move on you're gone and so so anyway so this so the book allows me to discuss all of these things to be completely goofy and punny and lots of goofy jokes and and silliness and then also have this occasional uh consideration of what it would be like to to have the world move on without you yeah you had a question in there and i don't remember oh no 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 i really there we are I really didn't. I, that was just you. That was just setting up for you to talk about it. But I will have a comment. And I really do love the, I was just thinking about this. I love the idea of aliens needing entertainment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because you don't think um, of that. No one ever talks about, I, I can't, I'm just going yeah. through my head right now. If any film I can think of, I'm sure there's maybe some out there, but the idea of aliens going, oh, like, like, why do you think we invaded you in the first place to watch you? Right. Well, I know that, like, for example, there is a book, and I'm not going to be able to come up with it. My husband knows this book, where um, aliens come to our Earth specifically because we make music and they can't do it. Um, Then there was a book that came out about a year or two ago by Catherine Valenti called Space Opera. It's not about opera per se, but it's about how, like, it's it's like a Eurovision contest, (laughs) but for for different planets in space. And um, I also flash on uh, the very bad Vogon poetry of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh-huh. Um, but I don't think that we that we do think about that very much. We sort of imagine aliens as being, you know, either dividing and conquering or creating great technology. But surely they are as passionate about their music, about yeah. their uh, creative expressions as we are. 
Um, and when I say aliens, I think fantastical creatures count as aliens too. They're just as alien as, as, you know, as, 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 as a Martian, you know, of course. Um, and, and they're just about as visible, you know what I mean? Like it's not, <laughs> you know, we've seen both about as many, about as many times. It's true. Um, so yeah, that's, that's actually a really good point. It's, it's fun. You know, I, something else just crossed my mind. Like what if the aliens, like some, let's say Pluto has like, okay, kumquats, like not, not the best kumquats on Pluto, <laughs> But the Plutonians decide, you know what? We're going down to Earth because their kumquats fucking rule, apparently. That's right. You know? <laughs> you just like saying kumquat, I think. I kind of do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fun word. Who doesn't? It is. Kumquat. It is a great word. Kumquat. <laughs> okay. So you did mention Selling Sunset, and I kind of want to bring this up. It's interesting you said that because mm. I saw that uh, the producer, Adam DeVillo, he had this quote. It was really interesting. He said, mm. people see themselves in these shows and it's escapism from the day to day. It's easy to digest and fun to watch. It's like candy. People know that it's not a documentary and it's not sold as such. The question mm-hmm. is, do they? You know, uh, this this is something that I was also pondering on in my book because the book was mostly soap opera. And the editors who wanted to buy the book said, we love this. Can you make it a little more reality TV? That's a bit more up to date. So I ended up grafting the two together. But I, in the course of that, I discovered the idea that there is these docu soaps out there uh-huh. where it's 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 both so it's a it's it's got soapy beats, but it's got this reality tinge to soapy it. Soapy beats. Soapy beats. <laughs> that's my that's my new rap name. I'll be that's soapy our, beats. Time out, time out, time out. That's actually our new band that we're gonna form. <laughs> soapy beats. The soapy beats. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it sounds both modern and like it could have come out of the nineteen sixties, actually. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Please um, welcome the Soapy Bees, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! <laughs> um, so yeah, it, I, it, it, I think that I have a character in the book who, uh, so I, my main character is Star. She's the new actor. And she runs into a fan who is a centaur. And he acts as though she's her character. Later on, though, she likes him and she, she wants to make sure that he understands there is a difference. And she's not supposed to tell him that it's all made up. But she feels like she should tell him. And she, she starts to tell him and he says, you know what? It's real enough. It's huh. real enough for us. So I think that people do recognize that there's some artifice and some pushing around of stories on reality shows. I mean, every, every reality show producer I spoke to, they're all like, we're not scripted. But everybody behind the scenes I speak to says, there's definitely of something they are. going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, the audience, I think the audience knows with a capital K that it's not literal reality, but it's real enough that they can escape into it. Like uh, Adam was saying, um, it, it's, it gives you a lot of these uh, reality shows that are really popular, the Real Housewives uh, selling Sunset, a lot of these other ones, they're very focused on bling and power and money and mm-hmm. big cars and big hair. And if you really want to talk about a reality show, you'd take it to a different place. And, um, you know, this is, this is heightened reality. Uh, it, it reminds me of what people were saying about, <laughs> I hope it's okay to get political slightly, but it reminds me of what people were saying about our, our 45th, uh, uh 45th president. You know, it, it's, he's a, he's a guy who, He's a rich, he's a guy who, who acts like he thinks rich people should be. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> this is, you know, the gold toilets, yeah, the, yeah, the yeah, marble totally. everywhere. It's exactly. like, oh, that's what a rich person would do. Therefore I will do that. Yeah. It, yeah, I, yeah. yeah I, I just, and I just feel like that's kind of what you see on a lot of these shows. These are people who may, may actually be rich, but don't have any real idea of what, you know, taste or class is necessarily well, like. Right. You would just hit the nail on the head with the word class because it's, this is class fantasy. Just like yeah. better home, like better homes and gardens, the magazine for, you know, forever. That's class mm-hmm. fantasy. Mm-hmm. There's so many of those things that come down to Vogue. It's, you could, that could be seen as class fantasy. There's, that's been a right. tradition for like, you know, centuries in, in America and in Europe. But right. what I, what I think is interesting though is when it comes specifically to these docu soaps or ocu soaps, as I saw. <laughs> yes. Imagine. Oh yes. Ocu soaps. That was another one. Great line. But, uh-huh. but those things are, I wonder though if people actually really do know those are fake. 
not I shouldn't say fake, but I wonder if they don't know that they're threaded through a particular narrative. Um, well, you know, what anybody knows about anything, I think, is something you can't generalize on. Huh, we yeah. have a lot of people, you know, th- this is another thing that fascinates me about writing about reality TV is that I feel like we're all very much immersed in this world of truthiness, to quote Stephen Colbert. Yeah. Um, truthiness has kind of become our way of life. Facts are not facts anymore. Nope. People pick their facts. They yep. pick their truths. Yep. They pick the things they want to believe to make themselves feel like they have, they have an understanding of the world and that they fit into that particular part of the world. Yep. And I'm not saying I'm immune to that either. We all live in silos. We all think we're being very open to other viewpoints, but we, 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 uh, hew to the things that make us feel most comfortable. Most of us do not want to kick outside of our, out of our comfort zones. Um, and it's harder, as you mentioned earlier, to find the kind of community you want. So when you find it, that's where you want to fit. You're like, Oh, I fit here. I can, I can work with this. So, um, what people know and what they know with a capital K and what they want to know. I think that there's plenty of people who watch these shows and don't take it any deeper than that. They just watch the show because it's eye candy, yeah. uh, because it's a show that they can probably have their phone. Fo- they can, they can be on their phone, you know, tapping away sure. at the same time they have, that they have it on. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's underestimated how many TV shows succeed out there because they are a thing that don't require you to have your full brain attached. You know, yeah. so, many, so many people sit in front of the TV set and, you know, play a video game or uh, tweet or have a conversation about the actual show in front of them. And there's plenty of shows that work because of that combination factor. Shows that require you to read the screen because they're because they're all subtitled or are, are deep and complex and require you to know what happened last week to understand this week. Those shows succeed as well. But they're not asking you to um, put, they're asking you to put more things into it than say a show like selling something. And so one, I think, and one of those things, I'm going to interrupt you mm-hmm. for a second. One of those things mm-hmm. is because don't have much time. I want to keep uh, very good about your schedule, but okay. passions. I got to talk about passions and Timmy. Cause <laughs> I went right. So ladies and gentlemen of the audience. So I was doing my research as I do. And she had this wonderful article about kind of some of the, the, the key points in the history of soap operas. And there was this fucking crazy show called passions that oh, went yeah. on for like a millennia. And it had the big thing was it had this talking doll that turned into a, a doll that turned into a kid mm-hmm. and uh, Timmy. And it was the most bonkers show I've ever seen in my entire life. When I was uh, in college, a bunch of friends of mine, when I would get super drunk on Jack Daniels and high and watch that show. And that was our ritual. Every single episode, we would watch Timmy. So Timmy, Timmy. so explain Timmy. to me, explain to me passions, please for the audience. Oh, I don't know if we have enough time in the minute to explain passion. Honestly. <laughs> um, you know, Passions was a soap opera and it was one of the latter day soap operas. You know, a lot of the soap operas that used to be on, they would, they started either as early as, oh, it used to be a radio drama and then it moved to television when there was a television and they were on for decades. Passions came along, I believe, in the 1990s. Oh. So it was, it was, it was sort of a more modern version, which meant that they could have a slightly more winking approach to it than oh. if it was this uh, old fashioned, um, very much foundational kind of soap opera, like a, like a, um, general hospital or a one life to live. Sure. Um, but it was also run by a guy named Jim Riley who had done wacky stories on other soaps and came over and created this show just so he could do these incredibly off the wall, wacky stories. And, um, <laughs> you know, it, there were the natural soap things that went on, but he seeded this town of uh, this town with just these characters who were meant to go above and beyond. Uh, there was a, there was a, an actress named Juliette Mills who played Tabitha and Tabitha was an actual witch. Okay. She uh, had witch powers uh, in this universe. Witchiness existed. And she's uh, the one who created Timmy. Timmy. And, and Timmy. <laughs> and <laughs> South Park must have worked oh, yeah. on that. Oh, totally. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and so Timmy was kind of meant to be her, you know, she was just going to tell him it, it was a way for her to explain all of her evil things, um, to somebody in the room. 
And she did things like poison people. She created this doll. She created a separate, uh, a separate witch who was a little girl who was, who was like an <laughs> even more powerful witch than she was. There was, uh, she had backstories that we would flash back to where she survived the sinking of the Titanic, you of know, course. that kind of stuff. <laughs> of course. I mean, it was like, I don't know what it was like to be in that writer's room or to be in Jim Riley's head, but I can just imagine how much they must have had a hell of a lot of fun coming oh, yeah. up with just because they could do anything. They didn't have to worry about sticking to uh, something no. that might even vaguely be realistic. Lots of soaps. And this is what the article was all about was just different weird fantasy stories and, and horror stories and sci-fi stories in the soaps over the years. And, and, and Timmy was one part of that. Uh, a lot of these soaps would occasionally veer off course from their normal sort of quote unquote normal stuff and have a, oh, look, there's a magical underground world called Eterna. Right. Or, you know, Marlena has been uh, possessed by the devil. You know, they would occasionally do those things. Sure. But Passions was really kind of born and bred and died in the wool and whatever other cliches you got to be as off the wall and weird as you could because and by the late 90s, you know, soaps were not doing so great. You had to color in some other, you had to use some other colors to get people to notice them. And this was the kind of thing that people would talk about. And if people talked about it, they would watch the show. So, um, yeah, it was, it was sort of brilliant, crazy, evil genius. And that show it. was so bonkers that part of me thinks that maybe even the writer's room for Passions was just like 79 monkeys and a bunch of typewriters. <laughs> yeah. Go! <laughs> Yeah, because they could those that many monkeys could not have come up with some of the weird stuff. Honestly, no. God, it was like it was above and beyond even the monkeys. Even the monkeys couldn't handle it. Well, listen, yeah. what an absolute delight you are! Absolutely, oh, you've been terrific. Thank you. Oh well, listen. Here's what I like to do. I like to do a little uh, little tradition here. I'm going to pretend to say goodbye. We're going to do a little acting, as I always say. You're going to pretend to say <laughs> goodbye. You're going to do a little acting. We're going to do a little acting off. I'm going to pretend to hang up, and then we're going to do a little post chat deal. Okay, no problem. All right, here we go. Ladies and gentlemen of the Inspired Mod audience, congratulations on finishing this podcast. You win a prize. What that is, I don't know. But the you feel good. Maybe hopefully that's what did it. <laughs> I am extremely uh, – I've had a great time talking to you, my new friend Randy, and our new band, Soapy – what was it? Soapy? Soapy, Soapy Beats. Soapy Beats. <laughs> Look for the album coming soon. It'll be amazing. Oh, and yes. now, thank you for your time. Your turn, Randy. Oh, I'm blowing kisses to you all. Thank you so much for listening. Jeff, you've been an amazing interview interviewer and I should take lessons from you. Um, thank you all so much for listening and uh, buy the book. Oh, and by, real quick, actually, I should have said this in the very beginning. Uh, you actually do owe me money now for teaching you. It's 150 bucks, my therapy session fee. Oh, I see. I see. I see. Very good. I yes. should have. <laughs> we'll just Venmo. We'll figure it out after. We'll yell at each other after I pretend to say goodbye. Deal? Okay, sounds good. Okay, and three, two, and click.